Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. I am so excited to dive into today's episode. But before we do so, a quick word from our sponsor. Deciding how and when to pay off student loans is not an easy decision for most. Many of you are feeling weighed down by your mortgage-sized student loans and are asking yourself, how did I get into this mess? Student loans contribute to stress and burnout for PAs, as well as other high-earning professionals. Many PAs, even with the best of intentions, unfortunately make poor financial decisions on their student loans. Look no further than studentloanadvice.com. For a few hundred dollars, they will meet with you for about an hour. They'll go over your personal student loan situation and help you come up with a plan for optimizing your student loan management. Find out how much they can save you today at studentloanadvice.com slash PAFI. And if you are interested in learning more, check out the PA the FI Way podcast episode 42, where Andrew, one of the co-founders, joined me as a guest. Otherwise, head over to studentloanadvice.com slash PAFI. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and I'm so excited because on today's episode, we have two special guests joining us, and we have the couple behind prescriptions and paychecks. So we have Steph, and then we have her husband, Santiago, joining us as well. So I'm really excited for today's show. I think it'll be a really good one. So Steph and Santiago, please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Stephanie. I'm the one who kind of runs the prescriptions and paychecks account on Instagram. Um, But my husband also contributes to the family finances. So uh, he's here today to um, to join us. Um, So we have this joke that because I'm a PA and he's a pharmacist that I write and he fills. <laughs> so that's the that's the prescriptions behind prescriptions and paychecks. That's pretty good. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Santiago. Um, I'm uh, the face and the mullet behind prescriptions and paychecks. <laughs> I'm mostly fe- featured as an ancillary background individual in most posts, um, but I do contribute to the family finances. And I also do contribute uh, by uh, being the father of our three lovely raccoons that are frequently featured on prescriptions <laughs> and paychecks. Perfect, perfect. And you can't forget the pit vipers with those mullets too, right? Oh, yep. <laughs> Big pit viper fan over here. That's great. Awesome. So could you both share what you do? You mentioned that you're APA staff and you're a pharmacist, Santiago, but please describe your roles and also please share how you guys met. Ooh, so we met in undergrad in anatomy lab. Cool. Um, when we were like 20 years old. And Santi, do you tell people what you like to 
tell them about how we met. Uh, so in our anatomy lab, it was the practical session. So that's where we're actually like looking at a, a cadaver. Um, and uh, one uh, class when we were dissect when we were studying the cardiovascular system or the heart, um, I then took the heart out of the cadaver and I handed it to Stephanie and said, I give you my heart. Oh, that's so cheesy <laughs> and so sweet. I love it. So cheesy. Um, so we've been together for like 13 years. Um, and so we've been together since long before we were getting any paychecks. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a PA. I do medical dermatology um, for a local clinic. Um, so it's like a private practice clinic. I see about 18 to 24 patients a day on average. Uh, I've been there for eight years and I don't think I could see myself doing anything else as a PA. I kind of found my niche. Awesome. What kind of pharmacist are you, Santiago? Uh, I also found my niche uh, in the field of pharmacy uh, right after school, just like Stephanie. Um, so I do what's called managed care, um, which is working for uh, working with and for insurance companies. Sure. Um, and managing uh, healthcare more at a macro level. So looking at therapies, evaluating cost effectiveness, um, making sure that um, we have appropriate measures in place to control costs of new drugs to market or um, drugs that can be very expensive but offer uh, little to no clinical benefit as first-line therapy. So um, my day-to-day -day is um, making sure that um, we're offering competitive and clinically appropriate uh, utilization programs sure. to uh, insurance companies. Interesting. That's such a big and important role, I feel like, because like you said, there are so many medications that we as prescribers would prefer to have our patients start. And then we always get kicked back and they're like, oh, well, it's not covered. You have to try two or three other ones. And then the patient doesn't do well, whether it's something like diabetes or in mental health, different SSRIs or things like that. So as a side question, what are your thoughts about GutRx, but also Mark Cuban's new thing that he mentioned about trying to get prescriptions a little cheaper for people? Have you looked into that at all so far? Um, so my opinion of GoodRx is that they definitely um, have found a, a great business model to um, kind of uh, pioneer within the, within the space. Um, what I will say is that it tends to be a Band-Aid or a short-term solution to a problem. Sure. Because ultimately what happens is, is that they, the patient bypasses their insurance um, and they get it cheaper via GARX. But then when they have to continue therapy, then the insurance company doesn't cover yeah. it. The manufacturer coupon or the GARX runs out and then they're left either having to switch to therapy anyways or end up paying more for a more expensive drug because they've been established on it. Okay. Um, I just saw the blip about Mark Cuban's um, venture. Um, I haven't really read too much into it in terms of what he's trying to do. Um, but um, it is very interesting to see these uh, celebrities or entrepreneurs get into the um, pharmacy space. Sure. Um, especially with things like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Amazon and PillPack, mm. but... Um, they're doing a, a really cool uh, venture, um, and I've actually seen a lot of market uptake in with Amazon service. 
because um, basically they allow you to link up your insurance, search for your drug, and then you can choose whether or not you want to fill it with Amazon or with Walgreens or what you want to do. Interesting. And they really do like a strong cost comparison. Um, so cool. that's been really interesting to see as well. Um, but I think a lot more of that real-time data exchange is going to start happening more. Um, and it's really going to drive down costs um, and hopefully make it easier for you as prescribers to know when you're prescribing, if it's going to be covered or not covered, do you need to do a PA, what do you need to do first? Um, so all that kind of stuff is in the pipeline, which I'm really excited to do. Sure. I'm hopeful and optimistic that all of this will make things a little bit more competitive and just drive the cost down for everyone. So we can only hope, right? Yeah. So if you have not yet mentioned, what do you each most enjoy about your jobs? Hmm. I So I really enjoy um, the fact that my job is a mix of clinical time and surgical time. So I get to do a ton of procedures, Awesome. Uh, which is super fun for me. Um, because originally I wanted to be a surgical PA, but I was uh, not cut out for the uh, operating room. Sure. Uh, so, so I like that I can do some procedures in a clinical setting and still have that time with my team. Awesome. Uh, so I really like um, the fact that um, my job is, um, well, first of all, I really like the hours. Um, eight to five, Monday through Friday. That's great. No holidays. All holidays are off. No on call. Uh, right? There's never an uh, insurance emergency. Um, <laughs> so that's what I really like. Uh, that's the first thing, right? But what I actually like think about what I like about doing in my job, um, I like that it's uh, uh, changing every day. Um, it's not just, you know, filling prescriptions, having to fill a certain number of prescriptions, doing a number of vaccines, uh, which you might see at a typical like community pharmacy role. Uh, but my job is doing something different every day. Uh, like, for example, this past week um, with the new uh, mandate from uh, President Biden and covering uh, eight COVID tests, eight at-home COVID tests uh, per month um, had left a lot of insurance companies kind of scrambling to figure out how to do that. Sure. Um, so my last couple weeks have been focused on well, how do we put the coding in the system to allow that? How do we make sure that members are being uh, reimbursed appropriately. Um, how are we making sure that we're following the federal guidelines for this? Um, so that's been something that you know just kind of fell on my plate, and I had to kind of take it and run with it. Um, so you know it changes every day, and I get to do something a little bit different. Um, and it's a nice balance between consistent work and then also these kind of like little random projects that pop up um, that kind of you know keep me motivated to uh, stay on top of stuff. Awesome. They both sound like great roles. And it's awesome that you guys have found your niche right out of school. That's pretty great, too. You don't always hear that. And then I'm suspecting with each of your roles, you know, one as a PA and one as a pharmacist, that you each graduated with the large amount of student loan debt. I mean, maybe not. It kind of depends upon what type of loans you had or scholarships or things like that. But if you feel comfortable sharing, do you mind share what your total debt amounts were, and also what strategies you've been using to try to pay off your student loans? So thankfully, we both went to a state school and had scholarships and had zero debt coming out of undergrad. Wow, nice. Uh, So that's the good news. The bad news is that when we both graduated from PA school and pharmacy school, our combined debt was $301,000. Oh, man. So 
Uh, so I had 166,000 and Santi had about 135,000. Sure. Yeah. So that's a lot for sure. It's been, it's, it's been a long time coming. Um, so I right off the bat, like hated having my student loans and really just wanted to get rid of them as soon as humanly possible. Um, I had made a couple of payments, um, you know, after starting my first job and realized that $900 out of my $1,100 a month payment was going towards interest. Mm. And that kind of made me want to throw up a little totally, bit. Totally. It's so depressing. Uh, so so I was like, I have got to get rid of this. This is disgusting. So I kind of set out like a plan to get them paid off and just be done with them. And so I eventually ended up using like an avalanche method where I just attacked the highest interest rates first. Um, and the the biggest thing that helped me was actually refinancing my student loans because I knew I was working in private practice and I was never going to be working for a nonprofit system where I was going to qualify for loan repayment. So I was like, okay, it's on me. Um, so I refinanced uh, a couple of times to get the rate lower and to get more of my payments going towards the principal. And that's what really helped kind of drive down the, the balance for me. Um, so I ended up getting mine paid off in about four and a half years. So I paid mine off in full in July of 2019. So now we're just working on Santiago's. Nice. That's great, though, that you're able to get yours pulled off. Yeah. So at least it's one thing off of the, the table. Yeah, definitely. Do you know how much you have left, Santi? I'm actually pulling up your Instagram page. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't even know. I keep, I keep track of everything. I appreciate the transparency. <laughs> uh, 47000 Nice. Awesome. According to her most recent uh, bio. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for checking on that for us. We appreciate that. (laughs) That's great. Cool. So did you guys both end up refinancing then and just kind of buckling down and just start trying to make bigger payments, maybe a little bit more quicker? Yes. And I would say that I had a very similar outlook to Stephanie at, um, at kind of the beginning. But then with the uh, most recent um, action at the Federal Reserve level um, and um, my interest, my variable interest rate dropping really significantly, um, paying off my student loans dropped down a little bit in priority because the interest rate is so low that um, I can um, do things like invest more heavily in my portfolio, which is going to make a larger return for me than focusing on paying off the loan that's accruing interest at, you know, 1.9% or something like that. Um, So I would say that I ended up shifting significantly from focusing on paying off my student loans to paying them off, uh, making extra payments, but more so pushing my more disposable, my disposable income to uh, investments. That's awesome. That's where I've been lately as well, where my loans are still dragging, unfortunately, because I was not financially literate right out of PA school, but I'm overpaying, but at the same time, still not in a giant rush and would rather funnel more money towards investing because of the interest rates. So I definitely agree with that. But it also depends upon your views and your perspective and your goals, right? You know, some people just absolutely hate debt. And if that's the case, go ahead and pay off those loans as quickly as possible if that's what you'd like to do. Yeah. And I was um, I was also fortunate 
because the interest rate on some of my initial pharmacy school loans, because I started uh, graduate school before Stephanie, were significantly lower than hers. Sure. Um, like I think what your when you when you finish school, some of mine were as high as eight point nine percent. So so yeah, some of my unsubsidized loans were just crazy. And I think my highest out of pharmacy school on uh, before I consolidated and refinanced was maybe 3.5. So my loans also accrued a lot less interest while I was in school. Sure. Interesting. So how did you guys learn about financial independence and then what drew you to the FI movement? So I was introduced to it because I... I don't know. One day I was just scrolling through Instagram and I saw all these pages where people were paying off their student loans. And I was like, cool, that's what I'm trying to do. And so I started following these pages of people paying off their student loans. And then I found that there was this whole debt-free community. Sure. Um, so I got really kind of pumped on that and just kind of gradually got introduced to the concept of financial independence. Um, and a few people that I followed on Instagram had recommended some podcasts for me. And so I had found a podcast called Choose FI, and that was just a game changer. Uh, that's definitely kind of kept me going down a rabbit hole. And Santi can attest to the fact <laughs> that I went, went a little crazy <laughs> for a couple months there. Sure. When I found it, I was like constantly showing him spreadsheets and saying, babe, babe, look what we can do. Look, <laughs> if we just invest this much. He was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he probably thought it was insane. Did you think I was totally crazy when I showed you those spreadsheets? Yeah, because you led with, babe, we can retire in five years. And I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Whatever, whatever. But then once you actually like showed me all the spreadsheets and really sat me down and we dug into it. It, it did become a real tangible possibility. Um, and, you know, the, the numbers and everything made sense. Uh, so that was helped de-crazyify. Um, <laughs> oh, that's um, great. Yeah, but. Legitimized my uh, spreadsheet obsession. There you go. That's, that's what I was Sure, doing. sure. <laughs> Yeah, so Choose a Five was how I got into financial independence as well. So I can totally relate. A friend's husband had introduced me to the concept of travel hacking. And so he sent me one of their episodes just to talk about travel hacking. And I was like, wait, what's this financial independence thing? So I totally went down their rabbit hole, listened to like all of their episodes. And interestingly enough, I ended up taking Jonathan's podcasting course to start this podcast. So it's kind of come full circle, oh, cool. which is really fun. So I absolutely love Choose a Five as well, which is great. But I will also say, too, my husband is not so much into financial literacy in the sense of he's kind of like, yeah, I mean, like, I'd also don't want to work forever, but he's not into like keeping track of the numbers or, you know, trying to put a lot of money towards investing and stuff like that. So he probably thinks I'm a little crazy as well. Santi has come around. <laughs> he now has a budget and he kind of knows where his money is going, mostly because I make him but. Nice. Yeah. You've, you've taken some good initiative. And we've always kind of considered ourselves to be good with money sure. just because we never ran out of money at the end of the month. 
Um, but it's nice to be a little bit more intentional with it these days. For sure. That's so important. It's yeah. so easy to have lifestyle creep pop up. Yeah. And I would say that my parents were very, or my dad primarily was very um, financially literate and very, very focused on teaching me to be as well. That's great. Um, so like he was, you know, like I think till I was 18, I didn't even know that you could carry a balance on a credit card. I thought you had to pay it off every month. Sure. Um, he was always a very big proponent um, of investing early, right? Like when I, when my first, my, my first job, it was always put in the max to ma- match your 401k, take your paycheck and put 10% of it away in your investment portfolio. Like, so he just taught me all of these um, things that have carried over. Um, but it's always been very much uh, focused on setting myself up better for the future. Um, yeah, so we've always been financially illiterate. Right? We've, never, we've never run into anything where you know, we can't pay for something or um, we can't do the things that we love because money is a limiting factor. And that's just kind of the privilege of having a multiple six-figure salary family. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you guys are in that space and that you had that background with your dad teaching you those principles when you were early. So I think that's great that you had that foundation and were able to build upon that with learning about the FI movement. So what parts of the FI movement attracted you guys? Like, why are you pursuing financial independence? Um, I think the main thing is just being able to spend your time how you how you want. Um, and I personally didn't really hop on board for the like, oh, I've got to get out of this like corporate grind. Like, I really like my job. I enjoy going to work. I enjoy seeing my patients. Um, so it hasn't been in my case, it's never been an issue of I've got to get away from work as fast as I can. Um, it's more so that I you know, I want to have more free time. I want to be able to do more travel with the kids and not have to worry about um, the cost of things, not have to worry about debt holding us back from anything. Um, so mine's been more of like a freedom of time approach. Yep. So important. Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing for us is that we're not running away from anything, right? We're not, we're not running away from our jobs. We're not running away from like stepping to the corporate grind or anything like that. But instead we're running to a future where work can be optional or it can be part-time or it can be seasonal while the kids are in school and allow us to spend our younger years when we can actually do a lot of stuff um, and be more active how we want to um, instead of having to wait till, you know, we're older and, the kids are gone or, you know, it's harder to get the family together to do stuff. Um, so that's really what attracted us to, to the movement. Great. You guys each mentioned your kiddos with your spiel there, and you guys affectionately refer to them as raccoons on your Instagram account. How did they get that nickname and how has your wealth building strategy changed since having kids? Oh, how did we come up with raccoons? They're just wild. <laughs> They're just feral. They are feral. I don't know. It's just, that's what I associate with a feral animal. It's just a raccoon. They're getting into your, like, they're wild. Sure. 
So, um, so I mean, definitely a lot of considerations when having kids. You know, a lot of people find that children are expensive. <laughs> um, we are trying to like keep those costs down by using stuff like hand-me-down clothes and uh, maybe not having like all the latest and greatest gadgets for them. Uh, the one thing that was a huge cost was having to buy a suburban to fit them all in. Sure. Um, and between having the kids and bro pair, like we have to have a huge car. Um, but uh, we haven't really had to adjust our strategy all that much. Um, we're really focusing on having enough money in our retirement accounts to be able to help the kids with stuff, um, to be able to help with any big projects or travel or college, but we're not specifically setting money aside for them for college. Sure. Um, and I think that that tends to be a big expense for a lot of parents is um, like funding their kids' education. And that's not really our goal. Um, so that's just something that's a little bit different philosophy with us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I will, ha I will uh, say that I feel like recently it's significantly changed. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a exception to what Stephanie just said, because um, I never thought that I would be um, setting up my last will and testament and a trust at the age of 35. Um, but that's what we've been doing for the last um, week or so. Sure. Um, which I think is a very important uh, thing for us to do, um, to make sure that everything is secure uh, and uh, being spent in a way that is and in a manner consistent with um, the values that we have and what we would expect um, and what we want for our kids, whether or not we're here or not here. Um, so there's been that. But like Stephanie said, right, it hasn't really changed um, our buy track at all much. Um, and we've done, you know, we've, done, we've also done things like um, our, our oldest is in public school. Um, and we caught a little bit of flack from our parents for not putting him in a private school and really doing all that. But we really didn't feel like it was um, in the best interest financially to send them to public kindergarten where, you know, um, it may not be for them and uh, it may not be the, use, the best use of our resources um, to just have them go to a public school for the sake of going to a public school at kindergarten. Right. Or private, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, but the, you know, those are just some things that we do, we have done. And then, like Stephanie said, um, you know, we took on a lot of debt to go to school, um, and I think it was a lot because we felt like we that was what you were supposed to do. Uh, but now, looking back, there's a lot of opportunities out there where you don't have to go to school for nine years, eight years. Um, take on a ton of debt to make a six-figure salary, right? There's a lot of other options. And there's also a lot, of, a lot of other options where you can make less, but you can start considerably earlier and be just as financially fit at the age of 35 as a doctor or, or someone else. So um, those are all things that we um, have come to realize. So education isn't a uh, must for our children, but we want it to be a choice for them. Right. In terms of like a traditional college. Yeah. Type of thing. 
Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely a firm believer that there are so many ways to make a lot of wealth that you don't have to go to school if you don't want to. But then there are so many other roles and different types of jobs where you don't have to go to school and still make a pretty decent income if school is not your thing. So my husband is definitely not a school person. So he, you know, just would not do well trying to go to school and go into a bunch of different student loan debt and build all of that and just wouldn't thrive in that. So everyone is so different. And I think that it's important not to try to push college on anybody and let them make their own decisions. So I completely agree with that. Do you guys mind sharing a little bit about the process of how it's been going with setting up your own will and trust and all of that? If you don't mind just touching on that, just because I'm curious. Oh, sure. Um, so we are using an estate planning lawyer. Okay. Um, I know that there's services online where you can do it, um, but we kind of want to have a professional do it for us because we're really just not super familiar with it. And yeah, we could put in the legwork and look up all the legal stuff, but in terms of like our time being valuable, we just decided to go with a professional. And it was actually someone that one of my followers on Instagram recommended. Nice. Um, so that ended up being a nice recommendation. Um, so she's been super, super helpful and just going through everything with us step by step and making sure that we're having all the right provisions in place. Um, so we've just been doing a series of meetings with her where we kind of look at stuff, we can um, adjust things as needed. And then once we have everything signed, she's going to be following up with us annually um, to make sure that if we need to make any changes to like beneficiaries or to um, or like guardianship issues with the kids, um, that those are getting updated annually. So I kind of like that it takes some of the pressure off of us to remember to do stuff like she's actually going to reach out and make us do it. Yeah, that's great. Which is nice for accountability. For sure. That's awesome. Well, we we learned so much in those meetings, um, like stuff that I would have never even considered or thought about when if we were doing it ourselves, and it would have taken a lot of a lot of time. Um, and another benef- great benefit um, to having someone, at least at the professional level, look at it for you, but also look at it continuously is um, she'll do things like monitor for um, changes to both state and federal law that would impact our estate in the future. So then if we need to make adjustments um, to situations or new laws or new requirements, we can then do that from a legal perspective within our plan documents so that um, it it doesn't become an issue or uh, our parents or the kids or something like that um, would have to deal with in a time it's obviously going to be very um, take an emotional toll on them. So we want to make sure that we have that all set up for them so that um, it's not something that they have to worry about. You know, they're not going to have to go to court or probate or deal with, um, you know, having to manage all that because it'll all be consistently maintained on an annual basis and it'll be, you know, the most up to date. But we've learned a ton and I think we've covered a lot of bases that we would have, we wouldn't have been able to find, um, if we had just been doing it ourselves. Sure, that's wonderful. Thank you both for sharing. I think that it's something that's really important to consider. We don't have any kiddos yet, but I think that especially when you have kids, it's really important to get all those details in place no matter how young you are. So thank you so much for sharing that for the listeners. 
Steph, you mentioned bro pair when you were talking about your suburban, but you guys are the mm-hmm. only ones that I know that uses a bro pair for childcare. Would you share with the listeners what in the world a bro pair is and why did you choose to go this route for your child care and what has the experience been like? So bro pair is our dude out pair. And this is a term that he came up with. Like he did not come up with bro <laughs> pair. Awesome. Apparently, apparently, apparently all the male out pairs collectively refer to themselves as bro pair. That's great. I love so, it. Um, so we started looking at out pairs when I was pregnant with our third child, Calvin. And while it's because the grandparents had been watching the other two kids for us and they were getting a little bit burned out. And we knew that once we had three in the mix that they were going to be like, nope. Sure. <laughs> so we were looking at either getting like a nanny or maybe putting one of the kids in daycare part-time. And we were just looking at all of these different options on what to do with the kids. And it had been so nice having the kids at home um, doing our child care at the house um, that we really wanted to continue with that. And this was before COVID even hit. So, um, but we were just kind of used to being at home during the day and Santiago works from home. So he likes to be able to like go out and see the kids at lunch and, um, you know, get some, get some snuggles and stuff. So it, it was kind of important to us to have in-house child care or someone to come to the house. And so when we were looking at babysitters versus nannies um, versus au pairs, um, we really liked the idea of an au pair because it would be a live-in situation. Um, And it actually has just worked out so nicely. I know some people think it might be weird to like share your house with another individual, um, but we had rented out rooms to PA students and pharmacy students. And so we had kind of been used to having like a roommate at that point still. Um, so we were like, okay, well, we've got the extra room and, you know, this might be the, the best approach for us to have someone at the house doing childcare so that, um, so like the grandparents at the end of the day would be like at the door waiting for me to walk in. <laughs> like, if they're like, all right, can I go now? Take them back. Um, they were just so, <laughs> yeah, they're just so done by the end of the day. And so I kind of like the idea that we wouldn't have someone rushing out the door, like someone who's just going to be a little bit more flexible. Um, and it even worked out really well because when I went into labor with Calvin, um, bro pair just stayed home with the other two kids because it was the middle of the night and he was able to stay with them and then call the grandparents in the morning. Um, so we didn't have to worry about getting like scrambling for mid- midnight childcare while we went to the hospital. Um, so the flexibility has been super nice. Um, the cost per kid has been quite low. Um, It's kind of one of those deals where the more kids you have, the more cost effective it is because it's a flat rate. Okay. Um, And a lot of the rates are determined by the out pair companies. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of different out pair agencies and you pay, um, you pay a portion of it to the actual agency and then you pay a portion of it to the actual out pair. And then we pay for all of his living expenses. So his cell phone and groceries and uh, stuff like that. He has, we have an extra car that he uses. Um, So we just try to make him feel like he's part of the family and that's kind of where it is, but it's turned out to be a really nice childcare option for us, especially with the kids being so little. That's great. And they've got to be exposed to um, 
a whole other culture and um, you know, they know how to count in Portuguese. They know their Portuguese ABCs. Um, so it's been great for them to, for them to get that cross-cultural exposure um, to the point where I think um, our oldest, Bruce, has said that he wants to go live in Brazil. <laughs> That's so great. So, um, it's been nice for them to get that exposure as well, um, but also um, to have that solid foundation for childcare that we, we really needed. And continue to need. Sure. I just have a couple more follow up questions just in case the listeners aren't very aware and a little bit because of my ignorance. But are all au pairs international students or international people? And then when they come and live with you, are they students as well? So, um, kind of a combination of both. So, au pairs are kind of like foreign exchange student nannies. Okay. Um, so through the out pair programs, they are actually required to take a certain number of like hours of classes. Um, so broker has taken like some computer coding classes and stuff through the local university. Cool. Um, so they're required to take classes while they're here. Um, and then the goal of the program is really to be like a cultural exchange. Um, so they're here basically just to provide child care. They do some learning and then they do some traveling. Um, but they, they have a special au pair visa. So they're kind of limited in what they can do on their visa. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, the, the program is all run through the uh, United States State Department. Um, so they oversee the visa and the procedures. Um, and they also specify the requirements around credit hours, uh, stipend, that, that kind of stuff. Cool. Well, thank you both for sharing your experiences because we've just kind of briefly talked to people about childcare or looked into some of the options and it seems overwhelming and it seems astronomically high. So it's good to know that there's this other alternative option out there for people to look into. Yeah. Yeah. And the company does extensive background checks on them. Uh, they have to have a certain number of childcare hours in order to be even eligible to um, take care of kids. Uh, if you're going to have an infant in house, they have to have special infant training. Sure. Um, yeah. So um, we felt really comfortable about it, um, and the and the cost and everything just fit really nicely within our our plan. That's great. So you guys mentioned why you're pursuing financial independence. Do you mind sharing? Are you guys aiming to retire early as well, do you think? I think we will. It's hard to say, though, um, especially with like health insurance costs and stuff like that. So we've kind of gone back and forth between are we going to fully retire and just be done or if we're going to maybe do like part time work um, just to keep our skills up. Um, so we haven't really decided yet, but with the trajectory that we're on, we could both fully retire and hit our fine number in about five years. Wow. That's amazing. Congrats on that. So, so it's just nice to know that we'll have the option available, but whether or not we actually fully retire at that point, is still kind of up in the air. What do you think? Are you ready to jump ship? <laughs> 
no, I'm not ready to jump ship. Um, and like I said earlier, right, we're not running away from anything. So there's no immediate urgency or need for us to um, do anything or even try to make that number smaller. Um, so, you know, in five years, we'll see where we are and decide whether or not it's something we actually want to start doing or do we love our jobs so much that we're going to work another couple years or are we going to go part time like all that kind of stuff um, but it's nice to know that the light at the end of the tunnel is significantly closer and it will be an option and we can turn down that road if we want to but it's not something that we have to do um, and we're not being pushed to do it by any means um, and it's not a necessity that we do it that's great that has to feel so good it can give you so many more options of what you decide to do in the future. And it just takes so much pressure off of that, just knowing that in five years, you can do whatever in the world you like to do at that time. So that's awesome. Yeah, totally. So what strategies are you guys planning on utilizing to access your investments when you retire early? You know, if that's part of your plan in the future, do you have different things like are you utilizing taxable brokerage accounts or are you planning on doing some backdoor Roth conversions or what are some of the strategies that you guys are thinking about using? Because so many people think that their retirement money is just stuck in those accounts and you can't really access them before traditional retirement age. Yeah. So I have a whole cockamamie scheme worked out <laughs> for accessing. Do share stuff. <laughs> accessing our money. Tell us all your secrets. Um, <laughs> So this is all inspired by an article by the Mad Scientist, How to Access Your Retirement Funds Early. Totally. So if you haven't read that, go read that right I'll now. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, That's a great one for sure. Yeah. Um, so initially, so when we first hit fire, this is, this is kind of the timeline. So we would hit fire and we would quit our jobs. After we quit our jobs, we roll our 401ks into IRAs. Once the money is all in IRAs, we're going to start a Roth conversion ladder. Um, so each year we're going to roll a certain amount of money um, from our traditional IRAs over to a Roth IRA. Um, each one of those rollovers will trigger a taxable event. So we'll be responsible for um, paying taxes on that. But we're going to try to stay um, in a tax bracket where that tax conversion would be zero. Um and then while we're doing our Roth conversion ladder, there's going to be a five-year period before we can access those first funds that were um, rolled over. So during that five-year period, we would be drawing down on our taxable investments and cash. Um, so our brokerage accounts, so like our Vanguard account, M1 Finance account, um, we would be slowly drawing down on those and any cash reserves. So building up to the point where we're going to be reaching fire, we're going to have a little bit more money in those accounts. And really, that's been our limiting factor is getting up our cash reserves and um, beefing up our brokerage accounts, because that's what we're going to need at least five years of expenses to live on while we're doing our Roth rollovers. And then from there, once we're able to start accessing our Roth rollovers, um, we'll start pulling from those. And then once we hit a, a regular retirement age, we can actually just access whatever's left over. So um, I have a whole spreadsheet and timeline of how we're going to be doing our conversions and how much money we'll be able to live off of. Um, but we're anticipating a 
retirement income between eighty and one hundred thousand dollars. Nice. Um, and with the standard deduction, that should keep us under the point where we would have to uh, pay taxes on our Roth. That's great. Thanks for explaining all that stuff. I think that was a really great overview of that. And I'll, like I said, put that link to the Mad Scientist article in the show notes because he walks through that as well. And it really shows that it's not true that you have to wait till 65 or even in your late 50s to access some of your retirement accounts if you do want to retire early. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, of course. And actually, like on that article, he actually shows like a little graph um, showing that even if you were to like pay the taxes and the 10% fee to access your accounts early, like sometimes you still come out ahead because of the um, tax-free growth. So I thought that that was really cool too, where it's like, hey, even worst case scenario, if you need to like access your funds, just access them and pay the fine. Nice, nice. So it's nice to know that we have multiple options. Yeah, for sure. So is Santiago on board with this or does he just let you do your thing stuff and is like, okay, sure, that, that'll make sense and we'll just go ahead and do that. No, I'm totally on board on that. Great. And after I dug into it and read a little bit more, like, like I was skeptical at the beginning, right? I'm like, no, I can't touch my 401k money until I'm 65. And that's just the rule. That's the law. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's um, what everyone thinks. Then, right. Exactly. So, you know, reading it, doing my own research, et cetera, um, definitely put me, more on, put me on board for this. Um, and then, you know, being able to uh, put more money in my stock account will allow us to have that flexibility, right? To be able to afford to take the time during those five years to do the conversion, the rollover, not and not be subject to the penalties, even if we would come out ahead because nobody wants to pay taxes or penalties, right? So if we can avoid it, we can avoid it. Um, and. So it's been great to be able to see that we're, we're set up for that, um, that success ladder. Yeah, that's awesome. Congrats, you guys. I'm super excited for you. You guys are a bit further ahead than we are. So I'm really excited to see you guys do that in the future and maybe share some tips when you are in that process as well. So thank you. Yay. Do you guys have any pieces of advice for the listeners that we haven't covered so far on today's episode? We've definitely talked about a lot of different topics, but is there anything else that you guys wanted to share? Um, I, my biggest piece of advice is to just do something. Um, a lot of people just get really afraid to start making changes to their finances or they think that they're not smart enough or they can't do it or they can't figure it out. Um, but my biggest advice is to just start and kind of figure it out as you go along. There's just so many good free resources on the internet. Um, or DM me. <laughs> I'll help you figure it yeah, out. Yeah, totally. Um, but I think people just get really scared um, or they get this imposter syndrome that they're like, oh, that's that's not me. I couldn't do that. And so just taking baby steps, doing one thing at a time, and it'll get you farther than you For sure. I completely agree with that. It's important to start with one book, start with one podcast, and all the knowledge just builds upon each other. So even if you listen to a podcast episode and it's way over your head and you don't understand it, the next time you hear it on another podcast or you read it in a book, then it'll start clicking for you. So I completely agree with that. Totally. Do you have any other words of wisdom, Santiago? Um, so I guess I would say uh, you're at, at first you're going to feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose. Um, but it's really important to just uh, take the time 
uh, take the step back and just um, tackle what you feel like you can do at the time. Um, because uh, this is much more of a uh, you know step or a ladder, right? So you're not going to reach fire, you know, in six months, or you're not going to be able to set yourself up for. And, and if you try and do that, you're not going to set yourself up for for success. So it's important to just start with the little things and to um, take on the uh, goals that are reasonably achievable within a certain time period. So you know, start with simple things like make a budget, stick to a budget. Then once you stuck your budget and you have disposable income, then you can do things like open up a brokerage account or increase your um, investing in XYZ, or you know, you really like the idea of this aspect of fire. So that's what you're gonna focus on. Um, and just might make, start making those small steps because if you try to do it all at once, you're not going to um, be successful in any of them or you might be successful in some, but it's not gonna really help you um, go along that track. Um, and then I'm a firm believer of repetition uh, creates good habits, which then become second nature. So uh, you really need to focus on doing these steps consistently every single month, uh, because if you do it for one month and it doesn't work out and then you stop doing it, then you're never really gonna get there. Um, and then if you do it for one month and you say, okay, I got this budget thing under control, I don't need to do it anymore, you're going to slip back into um, old habits because you haven't really made any effort to change them. Um, so doing that consistently um, and, repeat and repeatedly, make sure that you develop and, and you set yourself up for long-term success. And then it really does become second nature. But you have to take the time to reinforce and redefine your current expectations and what you what your current goals are um, in order to make sure that you're making those changes and they're meaningful. Wonderful. Well, thank you both for sharing all those pieces of advice and for covering all the topics that we did today. I think that it's a really great episode. We covered so much and I think a lot of different new things that the listeners haven't heard yet. So I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to be on the show. But can you please share before we wrap up the episode where the listeners can find you or reach out to you if they have any questions or things like that? Um, I'm mostly just on Instagram, prescriptions and paychecks. Uh, I do have a web a website, prescriptionsandpaychecks.com, where I have a ton of um, information, um, but I don't really communicate with people through the website very much. Um, and then do you want to give out your Twitter handle? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Oh, or well. do you do you not want the personal finance community stalking you on Twitter? No, that's completely fine. Um, for those of you that don't follow Stephanie very uh, very closely on uh, her Instagram page, um, over the last couple months, I've uh, been um, sucked into the uh, crypto NFT uh, DeFi rabbit hole. Um, so I've been investing in NFTs, uh, investing more in cryptocurrencies, um, and I've actually have won quite a few contests um, and won free NFTs, etc., um, from some of the projects that I'm involved in, um, which has caused me to start a uh, Twitter account. It's called Mullets and NFTs. Cool. 
yeah. So you guys can find me there if you have questions about <laughs> NFTs or cryptocurrency. Um, it's something that I've um, started and started learning a lot. And with, especially in that space, you learn a ton right off the bat. So even though I've only been in it for a couple months, I feel like I know a ton. And when I go into enjoying some new projects or when, when I'm feeling stuff out, um, it becomes very apparent that if you're involved in it, even for a couple of weeks, you already know more than 90% of the people that are just joining because that space is really growing and really booming um, with all these celebrities buying NFTs and it kind of being on, on the forefront of all, of all these news, new uh, articles and stuff and some of these NFTs selling for millions of dollars when it's, you know, quote unquote, just a JPEG. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not rich on NFTs yet. <laughs> yet. But he's trying. Soon we will be. <laughs> Soon. Yes. Yeah. So, Santiago, whenever you feel comfortable, you guys are more than welcome to come back and do an episode on NFTs and cryptocurrency. And we can go down that rabbit hole on the show if you're interested, because I was just thinking the other day, there's just so much more new information about this. And I don't have very much knowledge on it at all. So you guys are more than welcome to come back as guests and talk about that in the future. Awesome. Yeah, if you want to poll your listeners, and if they want, if that's something that they'd be interested, I'd be more than happy to to do one with you. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you both again so much for taking the time out of your day to be on the show. It was a ton of fun and I really hope that the listeners got a lot of value out of the episode and I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you guys. All right. Thanks, Kat. Bye. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.